Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Get a creamy Oreo frappe or McCafe smoothie for less with 20% off any purchase of $10 or more. Only on the app. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Visit McDonald's app for details. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, y'all. I'm just curious. What is holding you back from the ultimate gaming experience? I'm just, I want to know because I believe you should level up your game with Backbone, the universal gaming essential that instantly enhances your gaming experience on mobile. Backbone just released an officially licensed controller for PlayStation, Backbone 1 PlayStation Edition. This special edition was brought to life in collaboration with PlayStation design team and inspired by the design of the PS5 DualSense controller. Simply plug in your iPhone to the backbone and enjoy console quality controls as you play console games via remote play or cloud streaming services and app store games. Playing your PlayStation games on the go with backbone and PS remote play or playing app store games like Apex Legends Mobile, COD Mobile, Genshin Impact, Minecraft, etc. Go to playbackbone.com slash Whitney now to order your backbone for a limited time and get free access to over 350 console games and perks. Backbone is now the official partner of Diablo Immortal. Not only is the game specifically optimized for Backbone, but you will also receive $10 of in-game perks. Find out your next adventure at playbackbone.com slash Whitney. Hi, y'all. What's up? Thanks for coming to this program. I am going to be in Cincinnati, Ohio. Soon, September 8th at the Taft Theater. I'm going to make my flight. You'll see, okay? Cinnabons, buckle up. I'm on my way. Three connections. It's tomorrow. September 9th. Oh, it's tomorrow? Yeah. You are on your way. Okay. You're in the air. En route. Uh, And then in a couple days, I'm in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the Miller Theater. The guys from Are You Garbage are going to be opening, which is amazing. September 10th, I'm in Richmond, Virginia at the National. September 24th, Charlottesville, Virginia, the Paramount Theater. And then um, I'm going to be doing clubs just to work out uh, new material in the fall in California. Look it up. Um, uh, Not my problem. Uh, If you can't find it. I just, I don't know. How can I see you live? I don't, you know what? Great. Like, what a whodunit. (laughs) I ask myself that every day when I get up. Like, do you know what I'm saying? These are people who have learned new things in the past couple years. I'm like, you know the rules of pickleball. A new game. Oh, wow. New game. New sport. But Mm -hmm. you still don't know how to get tickets to see. You still don't, couldn't, couldn't, stumped (laughs) by how to find out where I'm doing comedy. Mm -hmm. You have Dropbox. Like, you have Zelle. You know you have a new Zell password. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Neither of those places are where you can get tickets, but you can go to WhitneyCummings.com. Uh, Websites still exist. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like I don't people will ask me like in person, like, mm-hmm. can I buy a ticket like off you? I'm just like, I don't even know. It's like you're selling magazines for the Girl Scout. Like you just yeah, have them I don't on your person. want to do this. <laughs> you have a cash box in your back pocket. Like if you don't know how to find me to do I don't want you coming to the shows. Yes, we do. Whitney no, Cummings. No, 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 no. If you if you can't figure out like, oh, I'll just Google Whitney Cummings live dates or I'll go to Whitney Cummings. Now. 
because if someone doesn't, then you come to the show and then I'm dealing with that person. He's like, Whitney, how do I order a drink? Like, I like you can't do anything <laughs> on your own. I love you guys very much. I'll see you on tour. Um, and also, I am so honored that Jeanette McCurdy is on the show today. Y'all would have to be living under a rock or snorting a lot of rock to not have heard of her new book, I'm Glad My Mom Died. It is absolutely it is brilliant. It is so well written. It is covers everything from her childhood trauma to her uh, Stockholm syndrome, narcissistic relationship with her mother, um, uh, growing up too fast in Hollywood, which is oddly relatable. You know, most people aren't child stars, but the way that she writes it, you can apply everything that she's going through to your own life and be able to still uh, oddly be able to look in the mirror with this book, even though um, it's such a unique experience. And then uh, she outlines in such a perfectly funny yet, you know, honest, not funny as in minimizing it, just perfectly captures um, the aftermath of uh, her struggle with eating disorders, addiction, um, et cetera, and how she picked up all the pieces and has uh, transmogrified into a complete superhero. Uh, I am going to just real quick air my little insecurity about this interview. Um, I, I, this just wouldn't be a good for you podcast if I didn't waste everyone's time with a bunch of apologies for things that no one's even going to notice um, that I did wrong. But she came in and um, I didn't know that I had to get her. She had to go to Pasadena after or something. So I just we were hanging out before because she we had talked and she said she was a little nervous. And I was like, oh, let's hang out before. And I then I kind of felt rushed during the interview because I was thrown a little bit of a curveball. And I also felt like after watching all of her interviews, like people had done such little I don't know. I'm not going to judge other. Look, just because I'm an award winning Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who was like highly trained in journalism. I can't judge all these other weirdos on NBC and CBS. But I um, feel like she was telling her story over and over and to people that didn't really understand what she had been through and having had my own uh, abuse as a child and eating disorders, and etc. I just I felt this desire to take the weight off her having to say it all. And I also didn't want her to have to recap her own book, which I can't stand when people do that. Read the book. For, so I was like, I wasn't going to. So I just feel like I talked a little bit too much, but that's just me. Um, and uh, I just want to hear her talk forever. And she will be coming back uh, by hell or high water. Please enjoy the brilliant Jeanette McCurdy. No pressure, but you're a hero. <laughs> you too. So congrats on that. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. you. Do we welcome. get that? Do we get her saying that in the camera? Do we get that? Winnie's a, a hero. On a loop? Winnie's an absolute hero. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just so happy for you. I'm so inspired by you. Your book, I could not put it down. It is a masterpiece. You are a brilliant writer. Oh, thank you so much. That means so Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah. That's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Get a creamy Oreo frappe or McCafe smoothie for less with 20% off any purchase of $10 or more. Only on the app. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Visit McDonald's app for details. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Watch coming from you. Can you just <laughs> walk me through your style? Because it is ferocious. Um, I When I started doing the book promotion, I was like, I want to look like 
you know, a little put together. So the thing that felt put together to me was collars. So I just you look like collars. <laughs> and I was like, but I also want to be fun. I don't want to be fucking boring. So then I I started doing like sports bras over. Uh, over collar shirt. She's wearing really like a it. sports bra over a collar shirt. She looks like a superhero from the future. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is so like you do, doesn't she look like a like a guardian angel from the future? I'm influenced. Like I'm taking notes. <laughs> I'm wearing this tomorrow. <laughs> what was the wo- the woman from the Matrix that was um Carrie Moss Carrie Ann Moss? I don't know. I only recently watched Who is Carrie Ann Moss? Uh, Morbius, Morph, uh, Menstruous, Trinity. Oh, Trinity. Trinity. You look okay. like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Awesome. Is that the one who's in love with Keanu Reeves? And then at the so. end, okay, okay. Oh, probably, yeah, yeah. yeah. She was in Memento. Remember Memento? Did you ever see that movie? I did recently also. Yeah, it's it all such COVID an watches. incredible movie. Yeah. Um, Carrie Ann Moss. Let's talk about her. <laughs> you know what? This interview is going to be about us, our take on Carrie Ann Moss. <laughs> You have nothing interesting to talk about, right? So what are we? <laughs> so I'm kind of glad you're here. Is kind of toward the tail end of this press tour. I am too because I thought I knew that I'd have a lot of fun here. I've had I've, I've enjoyed the press so far more than I've enjoyed press for anything else. I have, but um, you sound skeptical. <laughs> You know what it is? I've been watching all your press, and I have some notes. On please some tell me. People. Please, let's hear it. I would Not on hear. you. I have some notes on some of these people that, like, did the least. Like, every—I guess it just drives me nuts when someone interviews someone and hasn't watched the other interviews they've done. Mm. So then you go, oh, I'm going to ask all the questions that haven't been asked. I will say, you and I were texting about one, and that did happen a while ago. Um and I, I have feelings about that one. I have complicated feelings about that one. But the press run for the book specifically, I have felt very, like, they've asked, you know, thoughtful questions. But I was excited to come here because I thought it'd be more, much more fun. Uh, and and I, I do think there are elements of the book that are funny. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like people have have been maybe hitting more of the, like, the dramatic elements. And I think that also, you know, and I relate so much to the way your brain works, and we'll get into um, why, but perfectionists, you know, and people that, you know, want to get things right, it's interviews sometimes are hard because it's like, I'm going to be perfect, but you're not. Mm. <laughs> so you could, I, I, I would love for you to struggle with perfectionism a little more. <laughs> how do you feel, how do you feel about the perfectionist um, label? Do you have, is it? Um, well, since I'm perfect, I'm fine with it. Uh, I'm f- I'm actually fine with it because I think for me, I had such a fraught relationship with perfectionism so long. And once mm. I changed the definition of what perfect is, I'm okay with it. Hmm. So perfect doesn't mean, you know, what I think the toxic version of it, you know? Yeah. What is it? What is it? How have you reframed it? Um, uh, perfectionism to me is just looking like you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's something that... Um, I, I, yeah, I don't really use that word, I have to be honest. There sure. are, like, some toxic words that just aren't in my vocabulary, yes. just for me personally. Yeah. Um, I don't use words like healthy. Mm. Uh, I don't use—instead of saying, like, that's not healthy, we say, like, that's not helpful. Mm. Um, we don't use the word perfect because it's just not—use it as, like, oh, perfect, great. It's a 3 o'clock, perfect. Like, can say it like that. Mm-hmm, but in mm-hmm. terms of, like, oh, this is perfect, or I look per—like, there's none of that. I don't use that word. Yes. And I don't use the word happy. Ooh, it's I like too that. vague and childish for me. Like I just, I don't. My brain doesn't understand what the definition is, and if I don't know the definition of something, I get confused about it. Hmm. When someone's like, "Are you happy?" I'm like, "What does that mean?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Totally. I don't know what that word is. So for me, I go like, uh, when I have integrity, when I feel pride at the end of the day, uh. that's when I feel fulfilled and satisfied. I think that's happiness. 
But if it means like skipping through fields in a dress <laughs> with like pigtails, I've never done that. Right. You know, so totally. it's like too big. So I just have to use words that are like really specific to my brain. So I don't. Sure. Spin out. I remember I had a thing with uh, my therapist where I, I, I had some reservation about using like softer language. I feel like I speak in extremes. That's definitely my tendency and being like, I hate this. I love that. I whatever as opposed to and she was she was trying to have me like reframe to, oh, I'm not I, I don't particularly like that. Just just language that would help me soften toward myself and have more self-compassion. I thought it was so fucking lame at first. I didn't want to do it. I thought if I if I hate something, I want to say that I fucking hate this. If I loathe this part of myself, I want to say I loathe this part of myself. Why do I need to soften it? Uh, but now I'm at a place where I do, I, I find value in it and I find that it has helped me to be more self-compassionate. Um, but it, it's been a long, a long road. And I definitely still sometimes want to just fucking like say the thing, you know, say the intense thing or or feel the the full, to, to, in order to like feel the full intensity of it. But I appreciate softer language now. Because it's, because it's also just about getting specific, you yes, know? Yes. And if you get too specific, you can't blame someone else, mm. which is a very uh, cozy anesthetic. Uh, <laughs> and usually if it's hysterical, it's historical. So it's like, I hate this table. Like, it has nothing to do with the table. Mm. So that's why we get specific. Like, what's why Why do you hate this? Why does this table have so much control over you mm. and your emotions? Something that sh it should be, should not have a charge. Oh, yes. well, it makes me uncomfortable because, okay, well, because it's it's too high and I'm short. Okay, so what's going on there? Oh, I mm. I'm, I'm I'm uncomfortable. Oh, I'm uncomfortable about my height. Oh, this table holds a mirror up to one of my insecurities. I okay. The, damn. Oh my god. The table had nothing to do with it. I do like this table. Fuck it's a this good table. table. <laughs> so that I have to break that down because I think when you move through the world with people, I hate this person. And you're mm -hmm. like, no, I, I don't yeah. know this person. Mm -hmm. So how could I hate them? Mm -hmm. What is what mirror is this person? holding up about what I hate about myself or what is this person reminding me of. Life, it's annoying, but then life gets a lot less uh, violently against you. You know, this reminds me, can we talk about the first time we met? Yes. Um, so I came here well, a year and a half, a while ago mm -hmm. during COVID, and I was so anxious about meeting you. I've been a fan of yours for a long time, and I felt like, like even talking about the anxiousness from then, like on the way over, I was like, oh, fuck, what am I going to say? Um, how am I going to, how is it going to be? And then, uh, and I got here and it was like my worst nightmare. I don't think I said a word to you for two and a half hours. <laughs> I was frozen against a wall. Everybody else was talking. Everybody else was having fun. Uh, it was, it, it, I have like nightmares about it. It was really, really bad. Like for weeks, I was like, how am I going to, what should I, should I text her an apology? I was like trying to, I worked through it in therapy and I like didn't know what to do. I was like, I think Whitney Cummings hates me. I don't know what to do about it. I feel awful. Like I wasn't a good, reflection of myself um so i'm glad to be here now and i hope to redeem myself that's I my goal am, i'm so excited because i found out you were here like a couple days later <laughs> esther was like so jeanette mccurdy and i'm like oh i love her i hear she has this amazing podcast where she talks about what she's been doing she's like yeah she was at your house the other night and i was like what I was like, oh, the girl, I just remember you being like in a sleeping bag or like a blanket. Like, I was like, oh, is that who that was? Like, <laughs> I didn't put it together. I was like wrapped in a giant blanket. Yeah. And then, of course, classic. I'm like, well, I guess she doesn't like me. She shouldn't talk to me. Like, who goes to someone's house and like doesn't say hi? I guess I'm not hospitable. I guess maybe I was being a bitch. Does she think I'm a bitch? So we're both doing the same thing. <laughs> I feel like when I'm around, uh, particularly women, 
that have very um, strong kind of magnetic personalities and are especially funny women. I completely you are close orders. <laughs> <laughs> I read your book and I was like, oh, I get why she might be a little triggered by me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I suddenly don't I, I I it's when I'm around like just a shy like I have a couple friends that are very shy and I feel like I become sort of the more outgoing one in those in those environments but otherwise I completely shut down and unfortunately this one feels more like truthful <laughs> the other one feels more like overcompensating this feels more like myself but so far I'm talking this seems like a good start a good like correction <laughs> I feel like also I have a I have uh, women terrify me Really? Because I grew up, um, and we'll get into your book in a second, and we're getting into it, but I don't want to do what everyone else has done, which is just make you go like, defend the title. <laughs> if you have a problem with this title, you haven't read the book. Like, if someone opens with, like, this title, it's like, you didn't read it. Let her let her leave, read it, and have her come back. Like, it's just so, it drives me nuts. And there was also the one woman show, which I want to ask you about. Yeah. Are you going to do something with that? I, I hope so. You know, I actually, I, I'd like to to go back into it and do it again. Nice. Um, it was, I, that was something that I was fucking terrified about doing. But I was like, I tried to ask my friends to do it in wigs. I was going to have each, like a bunch of my different friends do it and just have their interpretation. I thought it'd be like a fun spin on it. And, and one of I them. I volunteer as tribute. <laughs> <laughs> to play your mom. <laughs> one of them was like, you're crazy. Like this, you can't have your friends do it. Like, I love you, but that's just a terrible idea. And like, I need to tell you it's a terrible idea. Um, and I was you know like, what you should do have a child actor do it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and <then you> directed. <laughs> <laughs> the level. Oh my God. Um, I was so nervous before doing that. I was like dry heaving on a street corner and felt like, oh God, I can't do this. And then I thought, well, this is really bad because I really care about talking about, you know, mental health and, and that whole, what that has. But may I ask the one woman like show me. you did perform it. I never saw it. I did perform it. I did perform it. So what what felt great about it was that I, f I feel like I got over my performance anxiety through doing the show. I felt like I made it less about, oh, I, I stopped saying, oh, I need to do a 10 of 10 performance. I just need to sink in, feel what I'm saying and try and connect with people. So I started choosing three to four people that I'd try and kind of perform the specific monologues to or the song, it's, it's a musical, or the songs to. And I found that so grounding and so helpful because it's sudden, I wasn't suddenly being like a caricature of myself and like do, hitting the beats too hard or like trying to get laughs in place. Like it just felt like, okay, I can just like be myself and trust that it's it's gonna be a, it's gonna be dynamic. It's not always it doesn't always need to be at such a heightened um, place, and that that helped me a lot and and really kind of like soothed my nerves so that beforehand I wasn't going out dry heaving. Like mm -hmm. I was I was able to find some enjoyment in it. It was still stressful, but some enjoyment. But you might make something from it, either a show or a special or something. Maybe so. I'm 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 open to it. I'm also trying to. This is such a like cliche thing, but I'm trying to like enjoy and appreciate what's happening with the book and not get too ahead of myself because sure. that is my instinct. My instinct is to go, okay, well, what am I? Um, but just trying to go, okay, this is really cool and this is really special and how can I appreciate this? Um, so it's a lot of like walks and listening to Post Malone and trying to just like appreciate. And then the anxiety comes in and I'm like, okay, we're, we're appreciating right now. We're appreciating. But I say it kind of like tensely. Because I'm, I, I'm, this is, this is always going to be my sort of angle. And, you know, what you've been through is um, like harrowing. It's really hard to make me like gasp. Like it's hard mm. to make me gasp. You know, um, I've been in, I've talked about um, Al-Anon, ACA, codependence recovery for almost 14 years. And you hear everything you've said, you know, um, 
when you get a gasp in the room, there's this sort of bittersweet, like, I win. Like, I'm the most traumatized in here. <laughs> and uh, you hear, you know, horrific things about entrenched relationships, parents that are narcissists, you know, borderlines, um, bipolar, uh, alcoholic abuse, all kinds of, mm-hmm. you know, really sick abuse and entrenchment. And um, so I I kind of went and been like, oh, I'm, what was it? I was truly, like, gasping. Uh, and and there's some things in here that, that truly, like, broke my heart mm. when it, for me, I'm always able to go, ah, yeah, but that made her stronger. And that, oh, she got this superpower from that, you know? Yeah. So there are some things in here that were, you know, really uh, made me truly speechless. And um, But at the same time, as you're going through this, and the reason I bring up a show or whatever, I'm obsessed with alchemizing our trauma into something positive, sublimating it into something to where you're able to go at some point, you know what, thank God that happened. Yes. Because that's the only way to, you know, move forward for me personally, to be able to get to a point where I'm like, oh, my God, I have this, like, awesome advantage because all that stuff happened to me. Like, yes. that was a gift. That was a superpower. Like, thanks, Dad. Thanks, Mom. It took me a while to see all of these tools that you gave me that a lot of people do not have. And mm. so I'm just curious, Willis acknowledging the trauma and the very real injuries, which we can dig into, but also read the book. Um, do you look back and go, think about any maladaptive behaviors or coping mechanisms that you developed whilst going through this abuse that now you look back and you're like, Ugh, I have this advantage a lot of people don't have? Hypervigilance. Absolutely. I was so wired to like my mom's every flinch, every emotional whim, every, I just felt like I could read her better than anybody else in the house. I felt like nobody else kind of knew like, what was dictating mom's mood? So it would just be like this shock of like, why is she yelling? And I'm thinking, why is she yelling? Two hours ago, dad wasn't, didn't call when he said he was going to call. Then grandpa walked in and he stepped on the, on the stand on the floor. So that set her off. Then she's like a little more ag- aggravated by the time the boys put their cereal bowls in the sink and they have the milk in it. And they didn't mm-hmm. empty out the milk like she likes. And I'm thinking it, it makes sense. So this obvious. all makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Like, why are you guys not seeing what, what seems so obvious to me? Um, and in therapy for a while, I, I found that as such a, I thought it was such a weakness, such a frustrating thing, like chip on my shoulder, something that I had to deal with. Um, and now, and something that I had to overcome. And now I feel like there's a lot of value in it. I think it's made me more emotionally in tune. And I think it's made me pick up on cues, uh, from others in a way that's hopefully, hopefully leads to more empathy, Mm -hmm. um, more understanding. Uh, I've tried to you know, help. Hopefully, it leads to more compassion. Um, but I, I'm that's I'm not always the most compassionate person. But but on a good day, uh, and I, I absolutely think of it as a strength. Now, what do you have? One is there something that comes to mind for you? I was just going to say for when you know because I know you're going to be directing, and all I was thinking about was like, oh, this ability to number one, you know, it's all about motives, shape shifting, people pleasing, mm. uh, anticipating people's needs, mothering, martyring, micromanaging. If the motive is to control someone, anesthetize yourself, get out of your own shit so you don't have to think about yourself, judge someone, or the basis for all of that, you know, judging, micromanaging, uh, micromanaging but all that yes. is you can't handle this on your own. I'm going to do it for you because you can't, you're not capable. It's basically what you're saying mm. when you're, quote, unquote, helping people, whatever, um, or being nice, nice isn't nice. But when you're directing mm. all of these you know, maladaptive behaviors, if the motives are, I want to make this great movie, I want to help this actor, I want to help this, yeah. you know, other person are going to come in so handy because you're going to be able to talk to a child actor yes. differently than you're going to talk to an adult actor, differently than you're going to talk to the grip, differently than you're going to talk to Chip, 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, differently than you're talking. And then to be able to anticipate people's needs in a good way, you know. So yes. I, I think you. I'm just so excited for your career as a director, having come mm-hmm. from this, because you're going to have so many superpowers that a lot of people don't have. Yeah. Nice. And it's not. I'm not psyched about how you got those tools. Sure. But you have them. Yeah. You know, like, are you in that place now where you're able to go like, oh, I have a couple advantages that other people don't have, even though I didn't get to have the childhood I wanted? I I think the I think the experience of directing is what got me there. Honestly, I directed I've directed like five short films and some of them are a couple years back. But I remember being, you know, really scared ahead of directing and thinking, oh, am I going to be able to do it? And Mm -hmm. I, I felt so kind of overprepared with like shot list, but then you show up on the day and things aren't what you expect and the, the window's not working or the lights are like, there's just so many, so much problem solving, technical problem solving that has to take place um, that I would lean on the crew for a lot of the technical problem solving. I definitely have an opinion on what I like things to be and learn how to kind of articulate that better. But working with actors, oh my God, I felt like, oh my, I'm good at this. Like, I'm really good at this. I can talk to them. I can I can understand their intentions. I can hopefully help them feel valued because sometimes my experience as an actor was that I just felt like a fucking puppet and people mm-hmm. were just like, say the line like this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I don't want to say it like that. But you're like trying to do their exact line reading. It's fucking annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to make it a little bit more of a creative experience. Um, but also cool. just being able to have the acumen to overanalyze, you know, overanalyzing someone's thought process when mm. it's your mom is not ideal. When it's this <laughs> character where it's your job to overanalyze things and you're getting paid to overanalyze, it's like, okay, I know how to do this. Yes, 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 yes. I just, I shouldn't be doing it with my primary caretaker. Yes. But this is a appropriate place to be doing this. 100%. You Absolutely. know, so I think there's that. And then um, to answer your question, yeah, I mean, for me, like my ability to anticipate problems is big. Like, I can just feel when the Damocles sword is going to drop. I can feel uh, when there's an elephant in the living room. I can feel tension and usually be able to anticipate someone's needs in a very basic level. Because a lot of times it's just like, do you need water? Do you need a nap? You know, that was a big thing because I had to take care of my caretakers Mm. as a kid too, you know? And um, that's a big thing for me. Organization preparation, um, you know, I grew up in a home that was like, we're always out of everything. We could never find the duct tape. We Mm. never knew where the Advil was. Like, I know where everything is at all times. Mm. And so, like, people would say, like, over-organized. But I'm like, no, this is, I am prepared for literally anything. Hmm. Earthquake, flood. Like, there's, I make sure there are going to be no bumps that I can control Hmm. in the future, you know? So there's definitely that. Um, I have the ability to shut down and disassociate in a way that sometimes helps me. I get very clear in a time of crisis, and I feel very alive in a time of crisis. And then when things are calm, I feel very anxious. (gasps) Same. Yes. Yes. You know, so I think that's kind of a superpower. I'm not the most fun person at a party. I'm kind (laughs) of, I'm there to like handle if like the electricity goes out or something breaks. Like I'm just hoping something bad happens so I can be useful because that's where I shine. (laughs) I am so bad at calm. I'm so bad at, you know, that I'm just kind of waiting for a crisis to happen because that's where I shine. And then I'm sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop otherwise. And then I need to be useful um, usefulness is how I basically get drive my self-esteem, my productivity, mm-hmm. uh, but usefulness to other people. So, like, when I go to something, I'm like, how can I be useful? Can I help with this? Can I help with that? And if I can have my motive not be, I know I'm unlovable unless I'm useful to you, it's just more like, this is where I, I can also do it now and just enjoy it. Mm. But it's mm-hmm. I, it's kind of a superpower, too. 
Are there environments where you feel like there, what happens in environments where the usefulness isn't at right at your fingertips or that if there's, if, if, if you go on vacation was my thought. Like if you go on vacation, uh-huh. there's not really a thing to do. It never happens. <laughs> when was the last time it happened? Uh, it's just not for me. And that's okay. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I don't force myself to do anything I don't want to do. Great. And I don't shame myself for not wanting and enjoying the things that everyone else wants and enjoys. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm, I really like doing things for myself be, because, look, growing up, everything had a price, right? Well, I did this for you. I just did that for you. And I did this for you. There was always, like, scorekeeping mm. of, like, I'm hungry. Well, I just got you this. It's like, oh, we're keeping score on feeding your child? Like, I didn't realize there were only so many things I could ask for. Like, yes. basically in my home, there was, um because there was, uh, I'm trying to not talk so much how did this happen? Wait, you, what do you mean? Just in general? Yes. You, Why? Because I have so many questions for you. <laughs> well, this is great. Why, what's, okay. what's the what's the thought? I'm going to say just one last this. thing. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say one last thing, and then I'm going to ask you these questions. I'm because you to talk more about talking about why I, you want to talk. Less. I'm now in a shame spot because no, my brain is going like stop talking so much, but we no. haven't got to really like hang. Yes, this is great. But there's a conversation for you and I to hang off camera, but everyone just wants to hear you talk. No, I don't think so. I think I'm, this is I'm great. reading the YouTube comments in my head <laughs> right now. I think they're thrilled. So, no, what I've I've lost my train of thought. Um, usefulness, vacation, everything is a we're price. Keeping score. Yeah, yeah. So, growing yeah. up, I grew up in a home where there was uh, alcoholic home, which alcoholic we all know now. In order for alcoholism to be to be present, alcohol doesn't have to be present. Any kind of compulsive behavior where it wasn't a choice, it could be compulsive cleaning, compulsive cooking, compulsive drinking, compulsive mm. whatever sex addiction, all of gambling, all of it. Mm. But there was not a lot of space in my home because everyone there was a lot of unrecovered Alanonism and alcoholism. Everyone was always very busy. Everyone yes. was always ten minutes late. Everyone was always running out of something. There was so little. Little, um, self-care going on that everyone was always at capacity. Everyone was always at their boiling point. Yes. So if I ever needed anything, I was always the one putting someone over the edge, making someone cry. Oh, okay, now Whitney needs a water. Like it was always like, it was never worth asking for mm-hmm. help because there was, you were always putting too much on the other person. You were always too much of an emotional burden. Mm-hmm. And because my mother interpreted any kind of needs I had as a criticism towards her or something, because you haven't anticipated my need, oh. she felt like I was shaming her, just asking for basic things. So I learned in early age, do not go to her for help. You're just overwhelming her, stressing her out. Mm-hmm. So just do it all yourself or don't have needs at all. Mm-hmm. You know, so I learned to self-deprive and I learned to try to solve my own problems to the point to where oh my God. when there was no heat in the house because we didn't pay the bills, instead of just saying, I need a sweater or can we turn the heat up, I would get dressed on the stove every morning and caught on fire. My pajamas caught on fire. Oh, my God. But as a child, you don't know. You're just solving the problem. Yes. In a way that you, you're you like, okay, I'm cold. If I ask for a robe or if I ask for something, I'm going to get yelled at or she's going to feel like she's a bad mom. Why don't you get another mother? Well, maybe I'll get hit by a bus. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. So me asking for things just re- held a mirror up to the insecurities she already had about being a bad mother. So I learned do it yourself to the point of putting myself in danger, you know, quite a bit. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, are your parents still alive? My mom is in a nursing home. My dad is not. When did your dad pass away? Uh, about four years Oh, fairly recent. They both had strokes like 10 years ago, yeah. Both had strokes mm-hmm. like, in the same year. Back. Yeah. What? How was that for you? Were you like... Was, look, I'm doing great. <laughs> you, saw, you saw my hair during the pandemic. I'm coping marvelously. Grief's a motherfucker. Um, 
let me ask you though. Oh, so here I actually wrote mine down because I didn't want to be the. Th- I have a bullshit meter. Okay, that yeah, is yeah. like I really am grateful for. Yeah. Um. Ooh, 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 ooh. That's good. I can like smell people's like motives. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, which I think is something that you get. Yes. As a, a sexual abuse survivor, alcoholic home, you're just like, ah, I don't trust this person. Yeah. Like, Adam, that's just not true. Mm-hmm. Um. Also, uh, I can remove myself. I can remove myself from situations in a way that a lot of people find sociopathic. But with between my recovery and what happened to me, if I'm in a situation that makes me uncomfortable, I'm just gone. Out of there. Like, yeah. no questions asked. Interesting. Yeah. No questions asked. I don't feel I owe anyone an apology. I don't make excuses. I just remove myself. Just get out of there. Yeah. I, I relate to that also. I, I feel like I can remove myself in a way that might pe- people might be confused by or think like, well, what happened? And I'm thinking, well, it's very obvious what happened and I don't necessarily owe that person an explanation and this is what I need to do to take care of myself. So, you know, if you're confused, on. you're dumb. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Get a creamy Oreo frappe or McCafe smoothie for less with 20% off any purchase of $10 or more. Only on the app. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Visit McDonald's app for details. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> yeah. Bap, bap, break. We're now going to talk about ritual Symbiotic Plus. It contains two of the world's most studied strains with over 350 publications of human <gasps> clinical trials. We're not talking about these ridiculous, fake, um, are we allowed to curse in ads? No. No. Bullcrap artists mm-hmm. who are like, yeah, just take four grams of lion's mane and then yeah, a yeah. little oh, bit of charcoal and you mm-hmm. just eat a little gold. Just swallow <laughs> just a, a little gold. You know what? If you see a penny on the ground, just <laughs> lick it. That's how you'll get your minerals and then maybe deep throat some clay. You're like, what medical <laughs> school did you go to? Um, so this is actual real doctors. Mm-hmm. It is more than a probiotic. Three and one with clinically studied uh, prebiotics, probiotics, and the postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Most probiotics, number one, if they're not refrigerated the right way, if they're right. not preserved the right yeah. way, a lot of the probiotics you're getting, I mean, placebo effect is an effect, but like this is actual. I've been through a lot of um, probiotics that are uh, not um, effective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Ritual has been doing my omegas. Um, I've been taking those for almost five years now. And now they have this um, Symbiotic Plus, which is a total yeah. game changer because I can't take on any more right. capsules. Yes. And this is just one daily capsule for simple streamlined gut support. Mm-hmm. Um, so Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide like me, your insides. There's no more shame in your gut game. That's why Ritual is offering my listeners, well, not mine, well, sort of mine. That's why Ritual this is called grace for you. Whoa. That's why Ritual is offering <laughs> good Whitney's for listeners. Good, for, good for Grace. Good for my gut. <laughs> good for her. That's why Ritual is offering Whitney's listeners 10% off during your first three You're months. mine. Visit ritual.com slash Whitney to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. Stop farting on the train. Back to the show. <laughs> I had a question about the, the burden piece. That's also, that's something I relate with a lot. Is it something, do you feel like you still, do you have any of that like not wanting to be a burden. That's like, that's one of my leading kind of 
um, that's like one of my main compasses. Like, okay, how do I not be a burden in the situation and learning how to either ask for help or I now have a really great team around me and learning how to just trust that and not feel like, oh, I have to do everything my own because then I'm a burden if I don't like that's that's that'll I'm assuming always be there in some way for me. Do you feel that or is it? I find I am being a burden if I can do something for myself or want to do something for myself but then ask someone else to do it just because I'm scared. I am Mm. being a burden. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Interesting. So for me, it's just about getting real with myself because if I'm going, if I try one time to log into something and then I'm like, can you do, I don't, I am being a burden. And then I'm like, I feel like I'm being a burden because I'm asking someone to do this. And I'm like, well, also I gave up too soon because of my own insecurity about getting something wrong or my own impatience or Mm. my own lack of time management because I'm not running a tight Al-Anon self-care program. Uh. So I, I feel like a burden because I am. No. <laughs> but no, I'm saying, but you know what I'm saying? Acknowledge yeah. when I am doing yeah. something out of insecurity and immaturity and self-righteous indignation of going like, I only go to people for things I actually want and need them to do something for. Mm. And then the rest I do do myself. Because I also take so much pride in doing things myself and yep. comfort because I, number one, know it's going to be done right. Number two, I know it's going to be done. But so I don't ask people to do things that aren't appropriate. Yeah. Because if, if I feel like a burden, that's information. Mm. Either I am asking people for something that isn't appropriate or I'm doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result or I'm asking someone to do something that I don't have faith they can actually execute it mm. anyway, and I'm actually making them a burden to me. Interesting. This reminds me of the thing we were kind of talking about off camera of like when to differentiate between, oh, this is my old patterning, and this is something that um, is not necessarily the most uh, relevant to the situation versus, oh, this is actually something that I need to work on it's, and, and kind of navigating those cues. Uh, hmm. And two things can be true at once. Yes, 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 yes. I can have... Um, a, you know, in program, we say character defect. I like to say superpower because Mm. I think anything, any tool that you got, any maladaptive behavior or character defect or survival mechanism, whatever word or phrase works best for you, you got as a child in response to a dysfunctional home in order to survive that. Mm. It worked really well when you were a kid, right? And now as an adult, that's why we say adult child of alcoholic. It means you're still using the survival strategies that worked as a kid as an adult. Mm. And a lot of times it works. A lot of times it doesn't. So some of them work, some of them don't, or two things can be true at once, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. So Mm -hmm. I think that's the hardest thing for people like us is to stay out of the black and white thinking of like, this is always bad and this is always Mm -hmm. good. You know, my obsessive compulsive need to clean. It's bad if I'm running 20 minutes late, but if it's, it's good... If it's something I enjoy doing on a Saturday morning for fun and for free, and I'm not doing it to get uh, to f- basically meet an internal need. Yes. Right? I'm not going to external things for internal needs, you know? So as long as I'm not doing it in order to feel good about myself mm. or in order to um, anesthetize the fact that this thing happened to me that I don't want to confront, so I'm just going to pour it into this. Hmm. As long as I'm like, no, I'm just doing it for this reason. What's my motive? Yes. I think it's really just always about your motive. So it's like if I'm driving someone to the airport because I feel like I have to because I want them to like me because I'm worried they'll abandon me if I don't and, I'm, and I want to control them and I want them to owe me, bad news. <laughs> but if I literally am like, I'm being of service because this person, you know, yeah. and I enjoy doing it yeah. and then I expect nothing in return 
and I'm not going to six months in six months when they're late go, but I drove you to the airport that time if I'm not sitting on it as to lord over them. Yep. So it's just about your motive. You have to be able to have a conversation with yourself and go, why am I doing this? I so appreciate how nuanced this is and how like in the weeds of it all it is because something that concerns me about I, I love that mental health is talked about the way that it's talked about now and is so prevalent, but it concerns me that it's talked about in such a, it feels to me like it's talked about a lot of times in a black and white way, Correct. in a way that's just the pendulum's going to keep swinging. It's going to be like, well, self-care's too blank. Well, toxic's too blank. And then it's like, okay, but there's some, there's more to it than that. There's, it can't just be like summed up in a, in a headline. It's not that simple. Mm -hmm. um, so I appreciate the way that you're talking about it. Well, I think there's no one that's talking about trauma in a way that is eventually triumphant. I'm into the like mm -hmm. triumphant effects of trauma because it's honestly the only thing we can control at this point. Yes. And just because I've lived a lot of my life as a victim doesn't mean I have to identify for that as, at the rest of my life. I got chills. Oh my God. You know? Yes. So it's like, I think that that is what's missing. People are so obsessed with talking about their trauma, but they don't want to talk about like the solutions for it, how to alchemize the trauma into something positive and yes. how to look at your, you know, the wounds from your trauma as superpowers. Yes. You know, because I don't know if it's just because people want to be addicted to the like, well, you're depressed and that's just your life now and you're just depressed. You have OCD. So I guess you just, that has to define you as someone who is behind in some way. Mm. And I like to go, you have this, you know, neurodiversity that actually gives you an advantage in life. And these are actually your superpowers. And let's figure out how to, like, befriend these. And there's some, you know, protection mechanisms and, you know, uh, tools we got as a kid that we should keep in the toolbox. Yes. We probably won't need again. <laughs> but there's some that we can probably bring out every now and then. And then it can give us, like, a little bit of a gratitude for what happened mm. in a way. But that gets me to your mom. So your mom, do you feel like you haven't, I know this sounds, in 10 years, this or 10 minutes, this probably won't even hold up, but is do you, do you feel like there's an official diagnosis for her that's just a working diagnosis? Yes. So I spoke with a couple therapists about this, and they, each, uh, three different people suggested that she had a combination or all of the above of a borderline personality disorder, bipolar yeah. disorder, and narcissistic personality disorder. Um, with they they really specified too that the the thing that's really telling about narcissistic personality disorder. I mean, I've looked up the criteria, and she's quite. It seems like she fits every single one, like times ten. Um, but they said that people with narcissistic personality disorder will not try to get help. That's like no, the number no. one thing. Number yeah. one. So Never. there are a lot of people who who have borderline or um, bipolar who are really working on their issues, who are really trying to overcome. And just kind of like the trademark sign of narcissistic personality disorder is that they're like, I don't, you have the problem. Yep, How right. dare you say that that's just what my mom would do every single time. My grandpa and my dad would beg my mom to get help. Beg her to see a therapist. Say, you need to do something about this. This is destructive. You can't do this to the kids. Whatever their angle on the argument was of the day, she'd meet it with, you need help. And she'd throw something across the room and it'd be violence and um and so yeah it's it's I, i'm i'm guessing it was probably some combination of of those and that's fascinating because yeah the narcissism with looped into the borderline that's like a a double whammy a double mommy uh but i also think you know can we if we can just get a little bit granular on this so narcissistic personality disorder what's fascinating to me about it or just doubly heartbreaking is that narcissists have this reputation for like well they think they're the best and they think Oh God! They project that, yeah. and it is it comes from a wildly deep, profound insecurity and self hatred, yeah. and they have to basically project mm -hmm. an identity that would be acceptable usually to their primary caretaker. So, yeah. what's so fucked up about narcissism mm -hmm. is that it's specific, you know. So someone's like, oh, "I'm the best at football," you know, or like, "I'm the prettiest person ever." 
it's you can find out what their parents would have approved of based mm. on what they project around. Mm -hmm. So it's if I'm the best football player, my dad will love me. Yep. Right. So it's like whatever wow. their specific narcissism is about yeah. is about just trying to get love. So narcissist masquerade is the most confident people on the planet, but it is because deep inside they feel like they're absolutely nothing. So it's this tricky thing because they're such fucking assholes, yeah. Yeah. you know, but you're like, oh, this came from a wound. This yeah. came from something you didn't get to. And then I think we should talk about borderline personality disorder because it is slightly different. I think people have a lot of questions about it. It's yes. so specific. Um, and uh, but that brings me to because you were living with your grandparents, too. Did you see any like from your grand your mother's mother? Being able to go like, well, she got this from you in some way. Were you able to see how what your mom inherited? Yes, from oh, your grandmother. Absolutely. From a very early age, I, I just my grandma kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I felt like, ooh, this per I don't like how she operates. I don't like whatever, whatever world she's living in doesn't seem like reality. Obviously, I couldn't put these thoughts. I couldn't form these thoughts, but it was just a really deep sense in, in me of like I, that person. You mentioned the sort of um, reading people or the gut instinct. How did you phrase it? The discerning or I'm forgetting the language around. A bullshit detector. A bullshit, yeah, yeah. Detector. I felt like my grandma's bullshit was just through the roof. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think this person has any kind of ability to be honest with herself or others. That generation, though. Yeah. Sure. Sh would Should they have? Sure, sure, sure. You um, know? Sure. Like, uh, this is what helps me. Going into, like, the ancestral trauma of, okay, my grandmother grew up during this time under these circumstances. Why would she, why wouldn't she live in complete denial? Why wouldn't she be a right. complete robot of uh, self delusion <laughs> and just complete pretending just to get through life? Like, what is her? What did she need to disassociate from? What lies did she need to tell herself uh -huh. to be able to get through the day? You know. So I wonder if I mean you mentioned that she was somewhat histrionic and mm -hmm. would have big mood swings. Mm -hmm. So do you think she was borderline also? I, I, I suspect that she was also my, and she's still alive. She, uh, my, my grandfather, the thing about denial is like, I, I can see that my grandfather lived in some degree, you know, there were a lot of lies that, that I think he told himself. Mm -hmm. um, there are definitely a couple lenses of denial around certain areas specifically. Um, but I, but there was some sort of human connection, like, human humanity behind his eyes like i didn't mm -hmm. feel that from my grandma really mm -hmm. at all um and and so i could kind of i i always i didn't really feel sympathy for my grandma even she would talk about kind of her life and her woes and her the, 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 whatever i never really felt like oh my heart goes out to grandma mm -hmm. whereas with my mom my heart excessively went out to her um and i think probably some of that was seeing how my grandma treated her and be living in the same ho household where I'm privy to this dynamic on a daily basis and saying that can't be easy living with that with situation. That's so wild because when you're living with your mother and your grandmother, you're seeing that your mother is also a child. Mm. Yeah. Your mom's the child of her, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's like, well, we're in this together. You know, that's a really fascinating um, uh thing to think about because I found when I started putting the pieces together of my the abuse in my childhood, I was so much more mad at the people that knew about it and didn't do anything than the actual abusers. Because the abusers, oh, you're yeah. like, well, they're sick. That's huh. a sick person. Huh. They obviously couldn't control their behavior. This person obviously, you know, has a mental illness. But all the people standing around that knew about it, that didn't do anything about it, 
Y'all are the ones that are, you know, ostensibly saying, why didn't you do something? God. That's even crazier to me hmm. to be the one that's not a criminal or to be the one that doesn't have this illness and mm -hmm. to just be in denial about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah. I found myself having to grapple with my anger towards all the people that did nothing. God. Which was even a weirder thing. I Because I had Stockholm Syndrome with the abusers. You know, mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. forgave them, yeah. you know, in a way, number mm -hmm. one, because they gaslit me into believing that everyone else was the enemy. But still, there's just so many people to be mad at. Oh, my God. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. So that it's hard to sort of parse out. And it seems like you have really been able to um, neutralize the charge on everyone in terms of, like, forgiveness on some level. Uh, I hope so, um, and maybe and more so on some days than others, for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, can you kind of walk through like what your process has been to to get to where you are? Like, was it was it different kinds of therapy? Was it uh, you mentioned sort of codependency programs or or Al Anon? Was where did like what was the starting place? I guess, and then how did it get to here? Oh gosh, I'm supposed to be asking you this. <laughs> how dare you? How dare you turn this I, I would love to know, truly. I'm, I'm always curious about kind of people's history with this. And I'm going to answer your question, um, I promise, after we address like two more things. Yes, so yes, then, because yes. I've gone through a lot of the <laughs> same things. So cool. that way, when we get to them, I'll walk through that because I also just want to read. This is the internet definition of narcissistic personality disorder. Ooh. One of several types of personality disorder. It is a mental condition which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, hashtag Instagram, troubled relationships and a lack of empathy for others. But behind this mask of extreme confidence lies a fragile self-esteem that's vulnerable to the slightest criticism. Um, mm. So I remember going to my therapist and being like, am I a narcissist? Like doing what we do for a living, sometimes it's hard to tell. Uh, mm -hmm. You're just like posting about yourself and posting about it. And you're just like, am I a narcissist? Like, I feel like all I think about is myself, you know? Right. And um, my therapist is always like, narcissists don't schedule appointments to go to therapy and ask if they're narcissists. But yes. if they do, because I've dealt with a narcissistic person in my life oh. in the past also, and sometimes they will use having gone to therapy as like, well, see, I know I did this. I did this for you. Mm -hmm. And also it didn't help and the therapist said I didn't need to be there <laughs> and I passed. I know somebody who had that experience with, with somebody close to them yeah. where they went to one therapy session and then continued using it. We're like, well, I guess you need it because they said I was great. Yeah, uh -huh. I was fine. I'm yeah. like, oh, cool. What mm -hmm. therapist right. said that to yeah. you? All right. Um, and then borderline is something that I think is worth talking about because it's, it's recently kind of in the zeitgeist in, in a way that's very exciting, but it's also I see people misunderstanding it and uh, uh, having grown up with a lot of it in my life. Uh, mm -hmm. Borderline personality disorder is a mental illness that severely impacts a person's ability to regulate their emotions. This mm -hmm. loss of emotional control can increase impulsivity, affect how a person feels about themselves, and negatively impact their relationships with others. So growing up with borderline personality disorder is terrifying um, because you never know where you stand and you never know what the next second is going to hold. It's it's someone that is very mercurial. You never know what's going to set them off. Mm -hmm. You can't get a handle on how to please them and how to consistently please them and avoid lashing out. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the more you ostensibly like love them, the worse it gets. Mm -hmm. um, I just call it getting in the cage with a tiger. You know, it's just that this person's a tiger. Don't be in the cage with them, you know, mm -hmm. but you can never really predict, predict their moods. Um, the trick about borderlines is, number one, it comes from a trauma. And number two, they feel it. It's not a lie. 
they it's feel, not a lie oh, the, um, oh yeah, yeah i see I they're see. not manipulating you mm. they're not exaggerating mm. they're not they actually they're having an appropriate response to whatever stimulus has in their mind them. yeah so they have a problem regulating their emotions and so if i'm borderline and i drop this and it's like I mean, your fucking book if you hadn't made it so slippery i wouldn't have dropped it yes or whatever thing i need to blame you for but I have a wrong-sized reaction. Like we say in, you know, in Al-Anon, right. we have to work about right-sized reactions because we watched people have such histrionic reaction to such small things, yes. you know, because there was such a small amount of self-care that everyone was always at their boiling point. Oh, my God. You know, oh, so oh when God. someone is always at their boiling point, they're not taking care of themselves with time management, with their, you know, mental health, stuff like that. And then everybody else has to pay the price. This makes me think, you know, I certainly can't, I'm not able to diagnose my my grandma, but I'm going to try to anyway. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my mom, like, I always felt that her her reaction, like her reaction in some way made sense to me knowing what I knew of her. Having organized her the way that I did in my mind or the way that I needed to as a mm -hmm. kid, I was like, okay, her having, like it it, it did feel authentic to me. Mm -hmm. the, the extremeness did feel sincere. It didn't feel like she was putting on some performance unless it was to call a bill collector, which I was like, oh, but I also understand that performance because mom's trying to save us money. Like mm -hmm. everything kind of made sense. Whereas with my grandma, her behaviors, her intensity, did seem a bit performative. It mm -hmm. did seem it didn't seem like it had that same authenticity behind it. Um, so it's interesting because it's like it seems like your your grandmother didn't have a lot to give or didn't have a um, a that's uh, fair a, to say in, in a, a what that is fair to say. Yeah. So then it's like on some level the child has to be extra emotional, extra uh, loud ex in mm. order to get the attention yeah. of that person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, so it's kind of tricky. Like. God. When, when you're trying to get water from a stone, you have to, you know, try so much harder in order to get the attention, in order to get the love you need, in order to get the care you need. You Oof. had to be dramatic, you know? Mm, like, wow. so when you grow up in environments where it's like, I, you know, I hurt my knee. You're fine. You're fine. No one, you know, you're like, I hurt my, ah! you have to yeah, have yeah, such yes. a histrionic reaction in order to get attention, i.e. your brain survival. Ooh, Yeah. You know, oh so your mom could have got that honestly. Yeah, 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 totally. Which is really hard to process. Yes. And I think that for me, like, as hard as it is to forgive people that did, like, incorrigible stuff, this this is just the way that I get out of just, like, we forgive others not because they deserve forgiveness, but because we deserve peace, mm. you know? And so that's that's my current kink. Like, that's my new addiction. Yeah. It's just, like, forgiving people just because it feels better to me. I've never been good at forgiveness. It's always kind of, I feel like I was in therapy for a long time to find forgiveness for my mom. Like mm -hmm. even my intention in therapy was certainly to get better and to not be self-destructive, but also mm -hmm. in some way to find that forgiveness for my mom. It was That was like the golden egg at the end of the the rainbow. Mm -hmm. I, that's not, that's like several fairy tales mixed. This is something, <laughs> the pot of gold. Yeah, sounds, the, by the way, that sounds like a fertility clinic. <laughs> 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 I can see it oh like a God. rainbow and just a bunch of eggs and like a cauldron at the end <laughs> for leprechauns yeah. it's a leprechaun fertility <laughs> oh boy but not that anyone deserves our forgiveness necessarily we just deserve it you yeah. know and I think I will say one thing yes which is that my sexual abuse as a child was uh, from a man, and that is a little bit easier to forgive in some way, maybe for me, hmm. because my brain is like, oh, well, you're wired for that sick thing. Or, you know what I mean? Like, you're, 
you you don't know better like or whatever uh. i needed to hack my brain in order to forgive mm-hmm. do you know what i'm saying mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you don't know better yeah you mm. were programmed to do this or there's some you know god not that that's a reason to forgive someone for doing that sure. in general but when i look back if i would probably struggle more had it been a woman you know my therapist said to me at some point i i, w- I remember just sort of like saying, I, when will I get there? Like, when will I get to the place of forgiveness? Why is this so difficult for me to come to? Why Why is there still anger years afterward? Like, what's my problem was kind of my the, the thing that I took to my therapist. And she goes, what if you're not trying to forgive? What if that's just not the goal? What if you just let that go mm-hmm. and you stop doing your mom's work? Because yep. in a way, this is you still doing her work. Mind-blowing. You know, tears were shed and it felt really freeing for me to hear that. I felt like it was what I what I needed to hear because I was still trying to chase that. Um, and now I, you know, I don't I don't know. I don't wouldn't even use, maybe forgives one of those words that I don't use, like my, forgives my happy, you know, mm. but um, like at peace with yeah. or just this person no longer has control. O- yes. Or I've worked through all the anger from, you know, like. I had to be so angry for so long. And once I, I think it was after my dad died, you know, I needed something really, another extreme emotional thing to happen Mm. um, that gave me that extra push to forgive. And maybe it was just a different kind of pain and a different kind of anger. So I was like distracted of like, oh, now this hurts more. Interesting. So, so let me forgive this person so I'm only suffering from one thing. So now, so you're saying with your dad is what that maybe led to some softening? I think it kind of just eclipsed the anger towards what happened wow. when I was a child because it was just like, oh, I kind of don't have the space to even be mad about that anymore because I'm so sad and angry about yeah. this. You know, so the good news is that soon something else bad will happen. Interesting. And then you'll just... <laughs> It'll just move on to the next. Yeah, yeah. Just compound. Great news. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I think for me, it was like another catastrophic sort of pain made me go like, oh. And then the way that, you know, as you get older and you kind of uncover parental like systems, mm-hmm. like of their, what they, when you have to, when one of them pass away and you have to deal with their accounts and go another, and you see mm-hmm. like, oh, this person was so deeply unwell. It was yeah. like, you know, after my dad passed, like going through his financials, I was just like, Oh, my God. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't even be mad at this person because, yeah. like, just all of everything that I discovered about the way this person's life was. It's unruly. It I'm sounds. dealing with someone that did not have the tools. Like, the fact that I'm alive is a miracle. Yeah. This person did a great job mm. given the tools they had. Mm. They, that doesn't mean they did a great job mm-hmm. yeah. had they had all the best tools. But given the tools they had. So I think for me, it's not about was this a good was my mom good or bad? Was my dad good or bad? Did they do the best they could with the tools they had? Good enough parenting. Mm. My therapist talks about that all the time. Good enough parenting. Good enough. It was good enough. You know? Huh. Kept you alive. What is that term? That term makes me angry. I know. I'm (laughs) such a like, no, it's never good enough person that to hear that it's just like, no, it's good enough. I'm like, fuck you. Well, it's not in a way, it's not in the sense of like, oh, it's good enough. Like, you you should be happy because it was Mm. good enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, no, with the tools that this person had, with the place in their life that they were in, it was it was the best that they could offer, and it was thankfully good enough. Mm-hmm. And also at mm-hmm. the time, a complete dearth of knowledge about mental health. Yeah. I mean, we didn't even know about neuroscience. I mean, there's still we don't even know a ton yeah. about how the brain works. You know, yeah. so it's like, you know, you look back at just sort of. I mean, my parents smoked in the car with the windows up. <laughs> I mean, it's just like on this, you know. But 
in terms of the act of like abuse that happened, I'm curious if, you know, are you able to like what uh, can we talk about OCD? Yeah. Someone yes. I've, um, are you ever at a point now in your OCD recovery or dealing with it where you're like, oh, this is where it's benefiting me. I don't want to do that anymore, but this benefit, like in writing a book where you're like, oh, I'm kind of glad I have OCD. I'm really nailing this. <laughs> like I was reading it. And I was like, this book is so good. Don't get rid of all your OCD. <laughs> <laughs> I did feel it. So I I was, um, I think I had like six drafts that I could send in to the label on, on deadlines, but I would do like two drafts in between each draft that I had to send them. I think that was OCD. Um, more so than I think I think the OCD draws me to like really I mean even with like the copy edit I don't I they my copy editor might not be my biggest fan my editor and I it was great but my copy editor I'd be like the cadence no I don't want a comma there because the cadence needs to read this Mm. way and if you have a comma I know that I read the comma when I'm reading the thing and then I'll pause when I can't pause because it needs to have the rhythm Mm -hmm. and I'm like Every single thing that Every I sent Every period that. is perfect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, perfect. I told you I laughed. I la- but this is only an attention to detail and punctuation. Like, people understand this. The nurse tells me I can leave my shoes on. Mom tells me to take them off. Always looking out. Like, that made me laugh out loud. But it was like, that had to be a period. And then always looking out had to be an exclamation mark. Yes, Do you know what I'm saying? Exactly. You're, right, you're correct. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, so there, there, there were some, 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 back, some back and forth. There was a bit of back and forth about like, well, this isn't a proper like grammatical punctuation marking. And I'd be like, but it's intentional punctuation It doesn't have to be AP style. Yeah. It just has to feel it, right. Exactly. Yeah. It has to feel right. It has to read right. It has to, I really am a big fan of like the rhythm and cadence. I think that's OCD. Um, I have had a little bit of a flare uh, the past few weeks with like some ritualistic behavior and like uh, very honestly like not being able to get rid of a few things mm-hmm. and I'm like oh god this can't I this I'm not as in like go items into, as in like I finished a fresh moisturizer uh, Glossier brand like moisturizer that I was using as a hand cream I finished it and I'm like oh but I can't get rid of the bottle because I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I mean, it could be refilled. It could be recycled. Or like, what if it gets just continued? Also, like, there might be some left in there. That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm just saying, like, did you totally roll it? Like, did you get all of it out of there? Because you could also cut it because there could be more in there. (laughs) And also, like, what if you forget the name of it? Or the, like, you wanted to keep it. And a picture's not going to be enough. Yeah. Even if I take a picture, it's like, what am I going to sort through to find that? Totally. I just put in your favorites. Yeah. So it's a whole, but that, but just, there's so, but what if, like, you need to show it to someone? I don't know. There's a lot. I'm um, glad, question mark, intentional question mark, that you can relate. (laughs) Yes, but I've got a, so uh, it's funny because um, uh, Nicole Amy Schreiber, comedian who also helped me, you know, like organize the house, Mm. she would be like, like hoarding just because you have a like space, like I've decided it's collecting. Like when is it not hoarding in a collection? She's like, just because it's on a shelf doesn't mean it's not hoarding. Like that's, that's so funny because I also have OCD, which yeah. is just fun. We're just all three of us. What are the odds? Um, but uh, my one of my roommates in college gave me an orange right before, like during finals week, like right before uh, the end of the semester. And I didn't eat it and it was in my backpack. And then when I got home for the semester, I realized that I still had it. And I was right before I was studying abroad. I took the orange with me to Europe. Kept it in my backpack the entire time, walked it around like all over Europe, brought it home with me, had it until I graduated from college a year later. And my mom was cleaning out my room and she was like, why do you still have this? Wait, this is a dried out orange, like a tangerine. Potpourri. 
Yeah, it's potpourri. <laughs> no, but I was like, if I get rid of it, like Meg will either die or she'll hate me. Right. Logical. So I, I, I have to have it. Yeah, yes, she was exactly. like, that's that doesn't make sense. But if you, on the off chance you are a witch. It, listen. <laughs> blood on her hands. I could be right. That's the problem. <laughs> like it sounds good. Like that's the problem with if you keep you it know long it's enough, wild. If you keep it long enough, she will die. That's true. <laughs> it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So that's, I mean, when it comes to like the hoarding and the OCD and all that stuff, I think the key is for me has been to be gentle with myself mm. and oh, go, yeah. why does this give me so much comfort having to navigate of when is this hoarding, when is this OCD, and when is this me making myself happy and self-care? Yeah. It's when it stops being a choice. Yeah. So if I'm on Etsy at two in the morning and I cannot stop ordering stuff, we have a problem. Mm. But if I can go, oh, my God, I really want this, you know, worm from the labyrinth yeah. or whatever. And you know what? I'm going to heart it and I'm going to come back in a couple days. Yeah. And see, yeah. I just have to be able to um, live without it. Yes. And I just have to be able to not go to external things to meet internal needs. Like, if I throw this away, will I fall apart emotionally? God. Mm. If that's the case, we have a big problem. Yeah. Am I go, using external things for internal, to meet an internal need? I like that. Yeah. Trying to use external things yeah. to meet an internal need. So yeah. happiness, which we don't, you know, don't love the word, but happiness is an inside job. Mm. Am I trying to get an inside job done with external things? Alcohol, Oof. drugs, mm -hmm. sex, yeah. work, stuff, you know? Um, but I think it's good to because it is a form of self-care to know what makes you happy yeah or what you enjoy and to have the stuff around yes so what's the thing you didn't want to throw away uh oh the hand cream yeah well glossy hand cream and what was the thought the thought process was uh i wasn't really concerned about them not having it anymore i was like oh think things are going well right now yes and i'm worried that yep. things won't go well if i get rid of this hand cream container Mm -hmm. If I change one thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is going to be the thing that tips it. I yeah. have the same thing. Like, really? Yo, yeah. Like, I, like I'll buy nice journals yeah. because I like to journal and I like yeah. to write. But then I'll write a couple pages and then something really good will happen. And I'll be like, I have to keep it. I can't write in it anymore yes. mm -hmm. because it's, this is the thing. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Is there a biological basis for OCD? As in, was that ever true? So sometimes huh. mm. things that you know, don't work well in current times, yeah. you know, hypervigilance, hypersensitivity, uh, all the stuff that women are pathologized to do as uh, in today's culture. Yes, of course, it seems hypervigilant to be like, what was that? What was that? What was that? Because we have locks on our doors. We have, you know, door guys in apartments. We have alarm systems, whatever. But yeah. that worked really well on the range in the jungle in tribal times. Mm. You were the most important person in the tribe. The more hypervigilant, mm. the more anxious you were. So people now who are like, I have an anxiety of crippling anxiety. Crippling anxiety a thousand years ago saved the lives of yeah. everyone in the tribe. Because you're like, I think that's a lion. Is that a it's a definitely a lion? You're crazy. It's a lion. Yeah. And then you save the tribe. So yeah. now it's just there's no lions and whatever. So OCD, you know, in tribal times, the person that couldn't stop picking the berries was probably the most valuable gatherer, right? <laughs> the person who was like, I am not going to stop until I get this deer. The person that was the most, quote unquote, OCD about getting the deer, whatever, yeah. is, you know, was the hero. So OCD in terms of, I wonder if there was a biological basis for if I change this one thing, everything's going to fall apart. I'm sure that was just science a thousand years ago. Mm, <laughs> that was probably. just real science. Mm. It was like, okay, I did this and this and this and it rained. 
If you move that thing, the house is going to fall yeah. apart. The twi- yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I better not do that again. Or yeah. I better do that again. Because last time I did that behavior, it rained. Yeah. Ugh. And we got crops. Or last time we did that, you know, there was more bunnies to, I, I don't know. I'll keep the hand cream jar. Right? I'll keep it. I'm going to keep so it. What I'm saying is your therapist is wrong. <laughs> And so, but that helps me forgive my, that process studying, um, you know, neurology, biological basis for a lot of these behaviors has helped me have compassion for myself and not over pathologize them. Of like, well, I'm so crazy. It's like, no, I was just born a thousand years ago. I would have been the most valuable person in the tribe. I would have saved everybody's life with these thoughts and this behavior. I love that. That society has changed so fast that a lot of these tools are just obsolete and we just need to sort of reroute these superpowers. I love that and I need that. I'm I'm constantly in a state of, I wish therapy could just wrap up. I wish it could just be like, okay, I don't need this anymore. I'm complete. I'm done. I'm like, I'm solved, mm-hmm. but um, but kind of acknowledging, I don't know, just that it's ongoing and mm-hmm. and the the not pathologizing. I like that a lot. Yeah, just like finding ways to have compassion for things that, you know, are ostensibly like weaknesses yeah. or wounds, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's not being in denial of trauma, you know? But I think it's just like the next level of, okay, like how do we like fuck with ourselves? Yeah. In a good way. Yeah, like, yeah. how are we just, like, I think that's the next level. Like, I fuck with myself because I do that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's sick that I do that. Like, I have this thing known. I just have to know why I'm doing it. And I just have to be doing it for the right reasons. And it has to stay a choice. Yes. Taking another little break. Sometimes I think I stutter and I don't. Mm. Yeah. Isn't oh, that kind of okay. weird? Yeah. It's a verbal mm, yeah. dysmorphia. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it sounded worse than it did. Right. Yeah. You know? So um, that's cool. No solution for that. But we can- <laughs> we don't have a product to solve that. <laughs> but I am very excited because there is finally a company that um, gets me. It is called Newly. Newly is a monthly clothing subscription service. We finally found a place that sells my style, aka child from Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. In a subscription clothing service, $88 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. You don't only have to dress like a child from Stranger Things. Right. You can dress however you want. But this place actually has, right, vintage, every different Horse kind. girl. Anything yeah. you want. You name it. With Newly, you can get your choice of any six styles each month. You choose whatever you want to rent for, whatever you have going on. It's totally up to you. Your body, your choice. Ac- LOL, just kidding. Access to thousands of styles from more than 300 brands. Everything from party dresses to premium denim and one-of-a-kind vintage pieces. Newly stock styles in a range of sizes from petite to plus sizes up to five plus. Plus maternity. They carry labels like For Love and Lemons, Love Shack, Fancy, Lisa Lisa says God. Lisa That's says what those God. are. Oh, I thought that was saying Lisa Gray. I'm obsessed that it's called that. Yeah. Fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning in newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. The option to buy what you love at a discount, sometimes up to 70% off. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season. Stock up on a new dress for every event without breaking the bank. Say yes to all the current trends. Y2K throwbacks, sets, checker print, crochet, without feeling the fast fashion ick. Get all the fashion you need while you need it. Then let Newly worry about where it gets stored fall through spring. Dream closet unlocked. Newly is flexible. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. So no big deal if you lose a button, spill something, or just need to take a break. Your life needs to flex and Newly gets it. I mean, with these cute tops, people are going to be ripping them off and the buttons Super are going to go flying. Not your problem. 
Newly lets you love fashion in a way that's kinder on the planet. Orders are shipped in recycled, recyclable, and reusable totes with no plastic packaging. Whoa. Clothes are cleaned using energy and water efficient methods. And most importantly, styles are repaired and upcycled rather than thrown out. Wearing and rewearing clothing as much as possible is one of the most sustainable choices you can make, and that's mm. Newly's specialty. Newly is already a great value at $88 a month for any six styles, but right now you can get $10 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code Whitney10. Just go to N U U L Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code Whitney10 and sign up to get $10 off your first month. Maybe just don't try and go get the vest from the 80s for little boy toddlers because we already got all those. <laughs> That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com. Newly with two U's with code Whitney10. Oshkosh for gosh is my shit. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Change your clothes. What a great tagline. Yeah, that is a good tagline. That is a good tagline. I bet you can get fun like vintage football team shirts on Newly. And Speaking you can of wear- betting... <laughs> You said, I bet you can get. Oh, that's <laughs> even better. <laughs> Football fans. Here we are. First Sunday of the NFL season is here. Oof. It's here. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving new customers a can't-miss offer to celebrate the return of the NFL season. Don't just... Take risks with the people you're dating mm-hmm. and the sushi you eat from the right. grocery mm-hmm. store. It's actually fun to do with sports. It's the best way to bet because you actually have a little bit of data, but then it's a little bit of how much you know about it. It's a mm-hmm. little bit about your gut. I am now obsessed with football after uh, watching it with Giannis Papas. Uh, he made me like understand how to like enjoy it. And I mean, watching other men like suffer mm-hmm. because their team is losing mm-hmm. is yeah. part of the joy for I just oh, yeah. it's so fun to watch everyone just get so emotional right. about it you're not on the team <laughs> as an added bonus for week one everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion it's simple bet on an NFL team to win your team leads by 10 at any point during the game you get paid instantly even if your team loses what is our team now the team from Washington no, are the commanders. What? That's the DC team. Uh, C-U-M. We're still keeping it old school with the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> you really We are, are just. <laughs> Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code Whitney to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet this Sunday. That's code Whitney only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. (laughs) Back to the show. Uh, Can we talk about, um, so the eating stuff. So, or how do you like to say that? I I say eating disorders. I know there's some talk about why we should say disordered eating, Mm -hmm. but I don't really understand. I I think eating disorders is the yeah, way. it seems like people that don't struggle with this like to come up with words of how we should talk about yeah, it. Yeah, they're like, let's say disordered yeah, eating. Yeah, like, like what, okay, who thank are you? you? <laughs> like, fucking nerd. Because that's the other thing. When people get too into that, it's also a control addiction. So when people are like, I call it disordered eating, I'm like, okay, that's part of your control <laughs> thing. I'll, do you feel like um, uh, this new, like, it's not new, this like body positivity thing mm. <laughs> I find it annoying. 
Uh, because it's just, at the end of the day, just focusing on people's weight regardless. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like I worked so hard on my eating disorder recovery, and I'm, like, at this place where it doesn't run my life. Yes. And then this ubiquitous, anyone can be any size. And, and I'm not saying it's not true or false. I, It is what it is. But this new obsession with bodies at every weight yeah. is almost is getting me, and I think it's— because of that eating disorder ghost that's in there. Hmm. I a friend of mine told me uh, I expressed something similar to her this is a couple years back and she goes, "Have you heard of body neutrality?" And I guess that's the direction that things are going and I'm like at a certain point what is it are we just slapping a new word on the same thing? Mm -hmm. Are we just like, "Oh, let's find a different angle on this so that that one's not old, you know, let's let's update this." Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, my question is sort of is body neutrality body positivity 2.0 or is there some value to it? Um, cause I, I, there's something that felt a bit even phony about body positivity because I felt like, okay, they're still, they're still selling things off of being like, yep. I'm such a good corporation that I am showing somebody with one little stretch mark on their leg. Like, look at me go. And it's still like, there's such a kind of, it just feels false to me. I don't know. Agreed. In my bones. It feels like just capitalism and yeah. everyone's falling for it. It's like, uh, yeah, the fact that these brands that only had models that were size zero five years ago, now that they have sixes and eights, we're like, yeah. oh my God. We are brave. You, you are so brave. Yeah, you brave. know, it's just this just new obsession with women's weight in a different direction yeah. Yeah. that is still an obsession with weight. I agree. I agree. And it also feels like a false fake solve to a problem that clearly people don't understand if they think that this is progress because so much of disordered eating, body dysmorphia, et cetera, has nothing to do with magazines, has nothing to do with the images we see. Oh, thank you for saying that. I feel like there's so much of like blaming society on these things. For me, it was about control. It was about staying young and youthful. It was about fulfilling my mom's wants for me. It was so much more specific. There was no way it could have just been assigned to society's doing that's why like i wasn't even privy to society i was in a fucking room with my mom all the time like i didn't go anywhere what did they mean society i don't know i think that's such an easy i think that's such low-hanging fruit because i like, think society's to blame for everything yeah i think it's also a also just like a lack of education lack of understanding of like you know usually what i had eating disorders before i had ever read a vogue magazine before right. i had seen beverly hills 902 and L. like yes. it didn't even it wasn't about looking like the society standard of beauty it was about getting attention disappearing and people worrying about me mm. you know and about control mm. like so it had nothing to do with that i think it's an easy thing to blame and it's just a lack of understanding also there was you know to me when now i feel like i have to rush but mm. also i want to ask you because it's gonna um these will fork i promise which is did you feel like before you had an understanding of your the abuse as a child before you had the understanding around the the de when the denial started to break you know yeah. after Lauren after you saw the therapist Lauren and yeah. then moved on you know to Jeff I believe did you feel like oh that's why I do all those things in terms of when you were able to put it together about the sexual abuse because I had a therapist explain to me that I was sexually abused and I was like no I'm not like I didn't even understand like and there were cues that I didn't even know that were effects from that. For example, she asked me what I sleep in. And I sleep in like a full suit, like Annie Hall, <laughs> pants, 
like button up, like blade tie, monocle, <laughs> top, <laughs> top hat, cane. Like I'm in a full loafers. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I would always sleep, you know, fully clothed, yeah. and I just I didn't I didn't hoodie. Like I never put together that that is often something that happens if you're abu- sexually abused as a child. You mm-hmm. know, as a way to have you know layers on, as a way you know um, starving yourself. Also, a way to have control because you don't have control over your body. I think on some level, it was mm-hmm. also to make yourself. I did to make myself less sexual and to make mm, myself yes. like look sick yes. and not have curves or not be womanly. But obviously people that abuse children don't right. want them to look like women. Right. That's the whole point. Right. You know, so things like that. Um, so and then a lot of I always get very defensive of people when um, they attack uh, women that have like a bunch of a ton of plastic surgery, mm. you know, because a lot of times that is a maladaptive behavior yeah, yeah, and yeah. from the trauma of being sexually abused. You want to change the person that got molested. You want to look in the mirror and see a different person oh, kind of thing. Yeah. So were there any things that you didn't really necessarily like pick up on and went, oh, that's why I do that thing? Oh, so much clothing is really what came to mind first. There was su- such a weird relationship, complicated relationship with clothing and understanding that um, and not and I would dress to not be sexualized and then um, would dress to conceal certain parts of my body. Like there was so much there was so much math to what I wore every day. Mm-hmm. It was trying to work around my insecurities instead of just like, oh, you know, now I'm so happy that it can just be I'm so some version. I'm so joyful. You can use happy as the worst for you. I don't mean to take that word for Happy's you. over for everyone. For me, I guess I just like, the, the idea of happy just felt so much pressure. Like I have to be yeah. like, yes. you know, yes. the Scientologist running through a meadow. Like I'm like, <laughs> You know, so and usually when I'm happy, people are like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm happy. It's just Mm. my voice and my face. Mm, Interesting. But now I'm 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 thrilled to be able to wear stuff that I like and just say, oh, I I thought that looked so great when I saw it and I picked it out and now I wear it. And that it's so simple. And I'm glad that I hope most people operate that way. But I really didn't. And it was really, really such a complicated um, thing for me. And then, of course, there were a million food rules and, and exercise rules. And there was just, so, I mean, it was it was a, an array of, of chaos. Um, but the, the clothing thing was like a more fun element that came together later of like, oh, I didn't even realize that I was doing that. Avoiding, avoiding situations. Um, oh, I'm not going to go out to eat with this person. I'm not going to be in any sort of social setting because I'm because there's like endless food at social settings mm-hmm. and it's just like piles of things and I don't want to do that. Um, just uh, you know, avoiding rooms. Yeah. Was there, um, for me, there was a giant link between my fear of women and friendships, uh, mm. certainly female friendships. Yeah. Um, because you can't get as much past women. You know what I mean? Like they know. Uh, so yes. number one, you can't go to dinner with a woman and pull off an eating of the like, right. you know what? I'm going to have, should I have the burger or the pasta? Uh, uh you know what? I'll just, I'll get the salad dressing on the side. <laughs> like you can't, <laughs> You know what I mean? That's the main move is I'm going to deliberate between the fettuccine Alfredo and the spaghetti bolognese. And then when the waiter comes, I'm going to pretend I'm overwhelmed and can't make a decision. And I'm pretending those were actually real options. You know what? Fine. I'll just get the steamed broccoli with no butter. Thanks. It's fine. Whatever. Um, You know, when I'd eaten four cinnamon fucking Cinnabons in the car and like puked them up in Lake Hollywood. So it's... (laughs) I mean, I have, I don't, so I wrote a book and um, it came out the day of the Vegas shooting. So didn't get to do a ton of press. I don't know why people didn't want to hear about like me and my eating disorder <laughs> after 50 people had been slaughtered in Vegas. But um, I, uh, it, the 
eating disorders are so insidious that, mm. you know, this is why in Al-Anon alcoholism, you know, eating disorders today, it's the disease that tells you you don't have a disease. You know, it's like the disease yeah. of perception, the disease of this is the last time I'm going to do it. And you say that for six years and you mean it. Every time. That's the crazy part. You mean it. Yeah. And no one wants to be an alcoholic. No mm. one wants to be an No one wants to be borderline. No one wants to have any, you know. So yeah. for me, anorexia, I shined so bright with my anorexia and the drinking Diet Cokes all day and then sugar-free candy. My big thing was debilitating myself with protein bars, the so much sugar-free candy, sugar-free Twizzlers that I like had to be in fetal position. And then I could incapacitate myself so that I could isolate and not mm. have to be around people. Mm. Because food is so social. You can't socialize without some kind of— Something. And then, like you mentioned in your book, I related so deeply of like the— multitasking of eating and talking to someone because yes. you have to do all the math of what you're eating and oh. how much you're eating and yep. am I selling this and how much are they eating, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and then the just, oh my God, so embarrassing. What This happened next to Quentin Tarantino one time. <laughs> the, the bulimia for me, which I didn't really identify as bulimic until like I was really able to go like, oh yeah, I used to just like puke behind cars in a way that I didn't even know I was doing it. It was that fast. So it's like I would binge on stuff that was really easy to throw up. That's what I would pick. Mm. So it was like protein powders that would mix. It always is, right? You know the stuff that's going to come up quickest, most, that's it. easiest. Yeah. And so I would get these protein powders mm -hmm. and like Swiss Miss and <sighs> just like whatever chemically, flavory, sugar-free, et cetera, and then mix it in like water, eat it like pudding, and then I would go for a walk around the neighborhood and just like, bleh, 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 bleh. Yeah, and I, but I didn't even really understand that I was doing it, that yeah. I was, I never identified as bulimic. I was yes. like, oh no, that just didn't yes. take. Yes. Because I, I wasn't doing it over a toilet. Yeah. It was like just around secretly. Yeah. I hid it from myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Does that even make sense? I, it totally does. Unfortunately, it completely does. And I feel like that's because bulimia for me was so much more, it was so much less admirable than anorexia. My, I, I don't believe anybody's ever aiming for bulimia. I believe the aim is always anorexia. Mm -hmm. And bulimia is what you experience if you like can't do anorexia. That's my my uh, interpretation of it. So I feel like anything that could, like I would say bulimia took me a, a, a long time to identify as well in myself as like, oh, this is actually what's happening. I would kind of like, I knew I was throwing up and doing the uh, binging and purging, mm -hmm. but I could just kind of say like, well, but it's temporary. You're like, well, but because mom died. Like I could find these justifications that somehow like, well, but you're still doing the thing. Like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, but I could stop whenever, like, I really could get a handle on it. I'd eat something really unhealthy and throw it up and be like, well, it was like, that would have been so bad for me. Oh, my God. If I ate that. Yeah. Like, I'm just, like, taking care of myself. That's just completely sound logic. Had like, I actually totally. digested that, you know how bad that would have been for me? Yeah, yeah. I'm doing myself a favor. <laughs> Self-care. Yeah. yeah. And so uh -huh. it's also, like, you know, the irony of it being a control addiction and whatever you try to control ends up controlling you. What would you say to someone who has someone in their life struggling with this in terms of how to behave? Because I feel like Ooh. everyone's got someone in their life who I think has probably got some thing. How and I always say it. you got to leave them alone. There's nothing you can, you just got to let them. You know, oof, I, I do think it has to come from I was approached by by my boyfriend at the time and then also by my sister-in-law saying, like, hey, you need to get help. Like, this is an issue. You need to do something about this. Um, and on the one hand, I was grateful. On the one hand, it led me to start trying 
therapy and dipping my toe in the water of like, okay, let me see if I can work on this. But then I eventually quit and I, I, it need, I needed to come to it on my own. But I do appreciate that they confronted me about it. I think that's mm-hmm. a really hard thing to do. It's something I have struggled with a lot of just confronting somebody with something that I feel strongly. And I think it's cool that they did that. So I'm almost inclined to say try to approach. Or if you don't understand it, yeah. just give them your book. Give Great. them, give them, <laughs> just give them access to wisdom, send them a podcast, something. Yeah, but to yeah, go yeah. like, hey, I'm worried about your eating. If you know nothing about it, it's like, just send them to someone that does. Yeah. Mm. And and I do hope, kind of bringing it back to the, your point about triumph, uh, I, I hope that we can get to a place where it is, that's the piece that's like romanticized mm-hmm. as opposed to like romanticizing the, the, the uh, mental illness of it all. Like I do, I do think there's a bit of, of romanticizing happening around like, oh, depression or anxiety or like, oh, yeah. and it's like, yes. well, I think, I think there's hope to, if, if the romanticizing is on the, triumphing over it. Well, because I also see this new, like, wellness uh, thing as just one giant eating disorder. (laughs) Mm. So it's like, and now I'm intermittent fasting, and now I don't eat gluten, and now I only eat maple syrup three times a week, and then I eat clay and drink charcoal. I'm like, guys, guys. Count my macros, do my thing. Guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Those who know, know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> it's how he said, it's like intermittent fasting is the best thing for you. I'm like, bitch, I did that Apple for 20 years. Yeah, they told us that counting calories was bad. And yeah. then they were like, but what if you didn't eat for two days? <laughs> I know, totally. Like, it just, that this, sounds good for you. I don't have to count new, anything. These <laughs> new, I mean, on one hand, I'm kind of like, you know, slightly tickled that men now have eating disorders. <laughs> You know, it's like I see these men that are like, I only I eat this protein bar and then I do the ice bath and then I, you know, eat once a day and I only eat, you know, celery and jalapenos and I'm now in ketosis. I'm like, hey, dude, whatever you need to call it, <laughs> whatever you need to call it. But I'm I feel grateful that I'm at a place where I don't have like judgment about it because I'm like, I know all the ways that I sold my eating disorders as allergies, as now I'm vegan, uh-huh. I'm vegetarian, now I'm pescatarian, uh-huh. now I'm this, uh-huh. now I don't eat things with faces. Like, I still, you know, have my things that, you know, my boundaries around food, obviously, but, you know, do you sometimes see that and go, like, I know what that is? I had a uh, an instinct to suddenly go vegan in my recovery, and my therapist had suggested that I not do that, that mm-hmm. I have zero food rules um, for at least two years, and I, I've been... I consider myself recovered for way significantly longer than two years, uh, at least five years now, I want to say. Um, but I don't have any food rules. And I'm open to at some point, if I wanted to try to be a, a vegetarian or a pescatarian or something, I'm, I'm open to that. But I'd have to be really, really, really double, triple, quadruple check myself on it. Mm-hmm. But right now I have no food rules. I love all food. Like I'm such a foodie. I do feel like that's the case with most people who have experienced eating disorders. I love um, I, I love food, and I'm glad I don't have any rules around it. I don't want to be I don't want to be enslaved to it the way I was before. Um, what is next? What do you want to do next? I'm working on a novel and a and a collection of essays, and I'm I've been working on those for a couple months and really um, enjoying those. I'd also I'd love to do more directing, something like in a set environment with um, with people around me. It's a lot of like me in a room typing these days. Um, but awesome. I, I'm excited about both of those. Mm-hmm. And can I just, I have so much I want to ask. I feel like I'm not allowed to ask anymore. Can I just say, ugh, I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed. I'm going to be honest. I thought we were going to have more time. I'm sorry, but this is exactly the interview it should have been. I have to be in my third step. Um, 
could I just, as someone that has spent so much time examining themselves, understanding the motives of others, et cetera, et cetera, protecting yourself, um, what would you say are some red flags in people? Ooh. Not that there's anything wrong with them. We don't have to judge, but we do get to take cues from people when they tell us who they are, and then we get to protect ourselves. A big one for me is if you set a boundary, if I try to set a boundary and a person, I totally get having a reaction to a boundary. I understand that. I understand wanting to be close to someone. I understand being hurt if somebody sets a boundary. I get all of it. But if somebody doesn't uh, take accountability for their reaction to the boundary or doesn't like really express, hey, it, this really hurts me, but totally I get it or, mm-hmm. or have some sort of honest accountability on, on in their lane and mm-hmm. they just push back on the boundary mm-hmm. repeatedly, mm-hmm. they got to go. Yes. Gotta go. And there are a couple choices, though. There are choices in the way you set boundaries. So it's like when we're setting them, we try to make sure that we say what we mean, mean what we say, don't say it mean. Mm. I'm like, you're fucking pissing me off. Step back. So that's not setting a boundary. That's just, you know what I mean? Which is such a learning curve. I'm glad you said that because it was really hard for me initially because of the extreme thinking. I just be like, I can't talk to this person. And I felt like robotic when I try to set a boundary. I I felt Mm. like I couldn't be a human because, oh, if I'm a human, they'll know how to twist and get what they want out of me. And I will suddenly become Mm -hmm. helpless was my fear Mm -hmm. so i'd I'd get overly cold overly clinical overly robotic Mm -hmm. handed on a platter and it's like that's fucking weird no i wish i I, don't do that (laughs) it's not it's not it's just that's you know your brain is just trying to protect you that's all like when we get emotional it's just our brains trying to protect us that's all based on the data it has so there's boundaries are such a tricky one because i hear this word a lot and i think people are really experimenting with it but i think people are not um I had a, I didn't understand what boundary meant when I first came to program, which yes. is boundaries are not for them. It's for us. So yeah. number one, before you set a boundary, you make sure that you're actually willing to carry out the consequence that you have already planned for if this person does not honor the boundary. Yeah. So we never set a boundary until we're actually ready to follow through with the consequence because otherwise we are going to lose respect for ourselves and our self-esteem is going to degrade. So mm. if I go, Jeanette, if you do that again, I'm leaving. Yeah. I better be ready to leave. Mm-hmm. Before I say that. So then I'm going to set this boundary. So I better get my shit together, pack my bag, get a hotel, and then set the boundary in case the person, because the boundary is for myself. Yeah. It's, I, I, you can't expect someone you have to set the boundary with to honor the boundary. Because the fact that you have to set the boundary in the first place is all the information you need to know. So you have to be ready to actually follow through with it. Because if I say, if you say that again, I'm leaving and I don't, then you've lost respect for me. Mm -hmm. I've lost respect for myself. Mm -hmm. And now we're, I'm just embarrassed. Yeah. And, you know, And so there's that. But then also it's like not going to the problem for the solution, right? So a lot of times we go like, you're my problem. I need you to solve the problem I have with you, right? (laughs) So a lot of times it's, okay, every time Jeanette says this thing, it really pisses me off. Mm -hmm. And I want to set this boundary to say, don't say that again. But then I might go to my therapist or my program and go like, every time um, Jeanette says this, it pisses me off. And then I might be like, well, why does it piss you off? All she's doing is saying you look nice today. And or she's just saying she, you know, thinks you're or whatever it is. Maybe you're maybe you don't need to set that boundary. Maybe you need to just get more comfortable and flexible with people being able to say X, Y, Z to you or do X, Y. Or maybe you need to just remove yourself. Maybe she's done nothing. First, you have to make sure you're not overreacting. I love that. I love that. Or being histrionic. You know what I mean? When we want to set a boundary, we also might just need to develop the tolerance of being able to be uncomfortable or being able to receive love or being able to, you know, don't hold my hand in public. I need to set this boundary. It's like, well, what's going on with me that this is embarrassing, that this makes me uncomfortable? And then once we've cleaned our whole side of the street and vetted all of our motives, Mm. then we go, you know what? Yes, I've gone through all the other choices. The the 100% thing I should do is set this boundary. 
Hmm. And then we go and it's say what you mean, mean what you say, don't say it mean. And it can't be out of blame. It can't be like, well, you need to stop doing this because when you do this, I then do this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I need you to walk on it. Because a lot of times when we're, quote, setting boundaries, we're actually just making people walk on eggshells around us. Right. Which is what borderlines do. <laughs> so it's like when we set boundaries, we really have to make – and then we go, okay, hey, um, whatever your boundary, you know, is, could you please not use your phone while we're at dinner? Yeah, It just makes me feel unco- – you know – and here's why. And we have to say what we mean. Mean when we say don't say it mean. That's important. Because if we go, can you not use your phone at dinner? That's not setting a boundary. That's starting a fight. Oh, uh, yes. But so, yeah. So there's a difference between standing up for yourself and making other people walk on eggshells and looking at the motive. Because as someone that wants to yes. control everyone all the time, uh, boundaries can be a gateway drug for Interesting. me. You know? Interesting. So if I want to set a boundary, I have to first figure out what's going on with me and then be ready to carry out the consequence and then um, make sure it's for the good of the relationship. So sometimes... Yes, yes. So boundaries are going to make us healthier because yes. intimacy and proximity are not the same thing. You oh, know? my God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. You, mm. sometimes intimacy and proximity just means you're entrenched. That or, was mind-blowing. When I first when I first heard that, oh, intimacy does... Because I thought, well, a boundary... Because my mom conditioned me this way, but it was like, oh, a boundary means that I don't love a person enough. A boundary means that Mm-mm, I opposite. am not being fair to them or that I'm hurting them. No, intimacy is cultivated with appropriate boundaries. Oh, Could not correct. believe. And if you cannot comfortably set a boundary with someone, you don't have intimacy. Ugh. And if you need to be with someone all the time because you're worried they're going to cheat, abandon you, change, you know, do something that you're not going to understand, grow apart from you, that is not intimacy. You know, that is insecure attachment. God, And that is obsession and and love addiction, et cetera. I know your publicist is like perched (laughs) on the edge. Um, I'm drawing a boundary with him right now, which is that you live here now. Um, (laughs) Because I think that I think that this is this is something that, you know, is just wildly important because I think there's this moment of like, just draw boundaries with everyone all the time. Sometimes that can be controlling and that can be, you know, so I think also instead of going like, hey, I'm going to draw a boundary, which is like, you know, I'm going to tell her, can you not post all this? No, I just need to unfollow you Mm. or mute you. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. First, see what you can do to take care of yourself before you set the boundary because sometimes we think it's going to, it's like an, it's a drug like anything else. If I just take this drink, everything will be okay. If I just set this boundary, everything will be okay. And then you're in this whack-a-mole. You have like a house of cards of boundaries. That's right. That's right. You know? And, and so I think a lot of people, when they think they're setting boundaries, they're just being control freaks and making everyone else walk on eggshells around them. And it's your job to heal yourself. And this is something Mm -hmm. I am so impressed. I don't know you that well. Like I'm so impressed by you. I am so like Mm. proud of you. Thank you. I know I the work you have done is so relentlessly um fearless and and I and I I don't know if people understand how easy it could have been for you to just do blow and become a billionaire on a sitcom <laughs> and just be a nightmare like you <laughs> do you know what I mean like you could have just done that <laughs> You could just be doing Molly. You could have, you just really chose to do it the hard way, the gritty way. And the amount of integrity you have is unbelievably impressive and grace. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. Because there are a lot of people who also would do this and want to be superior and want to be the best victim and want to use it to control other people Mm. and... Um, I see a lot of people that are just, 
I this is a judgment, but I go like, oh, that's not a good ambassador for this. And not that you're a bad person, but this person like has more work to do. Or if I had read that when I was 20, it would have confused me. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Totally, because totally, now totally. it's like they're using this for something that is, yep. they, they're, there's more clarity to be had there. Yes. And I just, the fact that you um, had some whatever Darwinian self-preservation or just wanted to do it the right way and go all around the track um, and not take any shortcuts it, there's nothing like that eating disorder work, dude. It is the mm. most gnarly, gritty warrior shit there is. Thank you for the for the kind words. It does. It feels very fulfilling to feel validated for something that you know the work behind. You know that you know the the years behind, as opposed to I I know what it feels like to be validated for something. They're like, yeah, well, that's not. Well, I don't yeah. think people you know? understand overcoming an addiction that you have to participate in three times a day. Oh, my God. Mm. You know, every other addiction, it's like, okay, don't drink. I know how to be. Ab- you can't be fully abstemious. Cut it out. Right. It's like an alcoholic that has to do three shots a day. Right. It, it really, I think, yeah, begs for the work on the relationship with the thing in a complicated way. Mm-hmm. Do you celebrate yourself? Um, I do. I just, I, I went to the Grand California Hotel at Disneyland. I went to the the it's their their like cabin themed <laughs> hotel <laughs> and I went to celebrate. I'm try I'm trying to uh I'm trying to to do more of that. Mhm. Cuz like it's a form of gratitude and I'm finding like I tend to not celebrate myself mm. and uh I tend to not acknowledge my accomplishments. Um so I'm just curious if you do and where you are on that yeah. and just this whole sort of process. Where, why do you not or where do you? Because uh, either I don't find them with. impressive or huh. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't think they were. All, all I see is all the compromises I made or huh. like, you mm-hmm. know. Is there some? Is there one thing that you've celebrated or something that comes to mind? It's like, oh, I did celebrate that or appreciate that in myself in a deeper way. Like what? Well, I feel like when you celebrate yourself, it becomes you like your thing with being in service to others. I feel mm-hmm. like oftentimes when you you are celebrating yourself, but you do it in a way that becomes service to others. Like when you finally finished your house, mm-hmm. which is like it was this massive undertaking, this huge renovation, yeah. like it was a really big deal. And it's something that you'd wanted for a long time. Um, and then like to celebrate it, you threw a big Christmas party for a bunch of other people. Nightmare. It was a nightmare. <laughs> but like that that was, was you like <laughs> wanting to invite other people to like celebrate your house with you and like yeah, yeah, celebrate yeah, yeah. this thing that you had done for yourself yeah, yeah. by like inviting a bunch of people to get absolutely trashed. Well, that my that is also so um that, th- there's like you said before there's and the pandemic was a little bit of a curveball yeah. with kicking up some things I didn't even know I even had and sure. I think that I also uh over socialize to isolate because then you mm. don't have to talk to anyone in depth or have any meaningful connections with people. It's like, hi, hi, hi. And it so gets to, you know what I mean? So I think that's also a way that I can avoid intimacy yeah. in a way is that just have so either so many people around that I don't have to make eye contact with anyone mm. and feel that pressure. Because sometimes like, um, you know, which also is a red flag. If someone's friendship feels like pressure to you, first do your side of the street to see why. But also I feel um, now that I'm able to 
have an honest relationship about what I require in order to feel full, in order to have my glass be full, um, because that's a classic Al-Anon thing is we just give away what we don't have, you know, and we deplete ourselves giving to other people yeah. when, you know, we only, the idea is you only give when your glass is completely full. Mm-hmm. And um, so I find myself, now that I know what I need, other people, if I feel like they're the type of people that don't get their own needs met internally, yeah. I feel pressure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. like, because, and then my favorite Red flag is insecurity. Insecure people are dangerous. You know, we tend to conflate love and pity. And I think that especially as people that are sort of on the other side of recovery, sometimes when I see in other people, I'm like, what's the difference between being of service of this person and giving back to someone that was, and martyring myself on someone Hmm. and pitying someone. Hmm. You know, pitying someone never helps them. Yes. It's Mm. not, it's not kind. Yes. You know, help is not. So there's that kind of thing. But I think sometimes it's just a matter of self-care stuff and the hanging out with my horse is my big way to celebrate Mm. because I go, oh, I have this new level of success or this new thing, which means there are circumstances I'm not familiar with, which means my uh, old software could easily pop up. You know, I've upgraded my software to Whitney 2.0, but when things change or there's new circumstances, who knows what coping mechanism, what my brain is going to think as, oh, this is scary. This is a threat. You need to resort to those old coping mechanisms to cope with this change. So that's when I'm the most vigilant. It's like when something good happens, that's when I need to be the most vigilant about making sure that these maladaptive behaviors don't pop up and sabotage it all. So that's when I lean and go like, okay, something good happened. I need to celebrate by going to a meeting. I need to celebrate by going to do work with my horse Mm -hmm. to make sure that I can handle this next level of pressure, stress, achievement, whatever, you know? And last thing I'll say is um, since my dad died a couple years ago, I've also had a hard time celebrating. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 hard to celebrate. I still feel a little bit of like guilt or like, what's the point? Or mm-hmm. like, I was doing this all for him anyway. So who like, who cares? Oh, my God. You know, it's yeah. just sort of like yes. I have this rudderless, like purposelessness, you know? So just the last thing is like now that your mom is gone and, you know, w- what is your driving um, inspiration now that you've had to kind of uh, – build a new engine for yourself god i love that phrasing and i also relate to the feeling of i I felt completely like pointless and why who fucking cares about anything why is this what's the point none of this matters like a real emptiness you know for so long after after she died i would say my driving engine it's so like i don't have a, a a deeper answer than just what feels the most like i do a lot of gut checks on does this feel like it needs to be um done through me does this feel like it it's every part of me is kind of like compelled to do this or does this feel like i'm just like some doing something to fill the time does it feel like and whether that's a a relationship or a um or a creative you know project i'm focusing on or or a a professional opportunity you know what this is such a like corny saying but i love the saying if it's not a hell yes it's a no love Mm -hmm. it right my book it's so good right Yeah. yeah I think that was Ryan Holiday. I think Keith said that. It's so it's so good. It's not a hell yes. It's a no. If it's a maybe, I could probably I could maybe convince myself that it's no. It's as a, soon as no. you start talking yourself into something, it, rationalizing, yeah. minimizing, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And we'll talk about this maybe in another podcast. But yeah. I have these free for people that struggle with saying, "How important is this next thing? What is it, Mario Lopez? <laughs> <laughs> what does she have at one thirty in Pasadena?" Something for Amazon with her publisher, so she can't miss it. Amazon. <laughs> God damn it. Well, they should send a jet. They should have sent <gasps> a chopper. So Be- Bezos should a have drone, sent, a sent his drone. boat. 
Okay, I'm sure there's an Amazon driver at my gate right now who can throw her. In the, we can throw her in the back and get her to Pasadena. They can get me eyeliner in 20 minutes. They can get her to Pasadena. <laughs> um, okay, I am gonna shut up because there's so much more uh, I want to say, but I really don't want to take advantage of your time, and um, I don't want to bully you. Um, I hope you'll maybe come back. I would love to come back. I've I've so enjoyed this conversation. It's been absolutely wonderful. I don't know what's the right word. Fantastic, great. It's made me very happy. It's definitely made me very happy. <laughs> I am I'm crestfallen. I didn't get half of what I wanted to ask out. I I before you came on, we walked around and hung out for a bit and had I known It was so fun. Um, I know we got to hang out a little bit before off camera, but there was so much more I wanted to talk about with you on camera because I think um you speaking just heals people. And I think that mm. something I do know that yeah. feels good is being of service. And we're both trying to make things that, you know, we wish were maybe available to us when we were younger. Yep. And this is going to change so many people's lives. Mm. Um, and uh, I mean, I was laughing out loud at this book. It's unbelievable. And yesterday I brought it to a set that I was working on. People were losing their minds. Like, how did you get that? So oh many, everybody God. brought it up. Yeah. 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 They're it's like, it's sold out. How did you get that book? Thank like, this so is, I hope you've, Feel good. I do. I appreciate it so much. And the title is fucking brilliant. You're brilliant. <laughs> Everything's, I love you so much. Okay. Don't write elephants. More to come. Oh, anything else? I mean, this was great. Don't buy no, this no. book. They're out. There's no <laughs> buy it. You can't buy it anywhere. Love you. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Get a creamy Oreo frappe or McCafe smoothie for less with 20% off any purchase of $10 or more. Only on the app. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Visit McDonald's app for details. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.